Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play. And I'm Suki Stewart from Playfield. Together, we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping the idea of work as play. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Brendan Boyle and Michelle Lee from global design and innovation firm IDEO. Brendan Boyle is a partner at IDEO and the founder of the IDEO Play Lab. He's also adjunct professor at Stanford, where he teaches a course at the D School called From Play to Innovation, a board member of the National Institute of Play, and an award-winning author of the Klutz Book of Inventions. Brendan believes that play is the key to innovation and frequently speaks to creative leaders, entrepreneurs and students about the importance of playful exploration and risk-taking. Under his leadership, the Play Lab has invented and licensed over 225 consumer products, including, parents listening, wait for it, the best-selling Jumperoo, Elmo Cools, and Game of the Year, Pictionary Air. Michelle Lee is Managing Director of IDEO's Play Lab, where she leads an integrated research, design and development team, bringing engaging, interactive and playful experiences to market. Her Design for Play team builds upon 30 plus years of toy invention, leveraging the principles of play to connect with people at a deeper emotional level that captivates, delights and empowers. Beyond specialising in toys and kids, Michelle is passionate about using play to address difficult challenges and create meaningful change across industries, including destigmatising mental health, inspiring underrepresented students to pursue careers in STEM and supporting organisations in adopting practices in line with the circular economy. In this episode, we explore sparkle zones, the power of spaces and inviting play and how we can do away with PowerPoint. Brendan and Michelle, welcome to the show. It is so nice to have you here. How are you doing? So excited to be here. Good, good. Great to be here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's a real honor to have you on. I When I read your Bren- your bio, Brendan, I was like, oh my goodness, he invented the jumperoo. And I had that sitting in my sitting room for a very long time. And it gave me a lot of moments of peace. So thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so I'd love to begin by just starting with what your understand, like, what does the word play mean to you? Okay, yeah. I, I mean, for me, play is really a state of mind. It's a spirit that I think really enables us to take on the world with curiosity and with agency. Um I think a lot of people, when they talk about play, they go to fun and frivolity. And while play can definitely be fun, we love when play is fun, um, we think it's really far from frivolous. It's actually something that's so essential to our well-being. And as kids, we knew this. It's how we discovered the world. It's how we engage with our surroundings. It's how we learn and how we grew. And yet, for some reason, adults don't always give themselves permission to play. Um, And we firmly believe that if we integrate more play into our lives, we can actually take on the world as we did as children with that same optimism and that same agency. And that'll get us to better outcomes. I love that idea as play as this fuel that allows us to take on the world. It's like a superpower. Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about a lot of play in terms of superpowers. (laughs) Yeah, that's so lovely. How about for you, Brendan? What does it mean to you? Well, I think Michelle nailed it. Um, It's definitely a mindset. And sometimes, uh, well, I think I've written about it. I, I feel play has a PR problem. Like we need, we need more, a better PR 
person around it. And um, we usually go into folks, either students or clients or collaborators, and, and use the word engagement quite a bit. Because if you're not, engagement just sounds a little more, it's an easy way to sort of ease into play. Then we start saying, oh, you know what? Engagement's all about play. And then they sort of get it, get it from that point of view. Um, and when was the last time you felt playful? Uh, well, we took a trip to the beach this last weekend with my family. I have two children, one nine-year-old and one 11-year-old. And there's just so much that was playful about that experience. Because one, it was really windy. So we tried to play some version of like badminton, but the wind would carry the, the badminton um, birdie from place to place. And there's <laughs> only so much you can control it. So you're just having fun batting it and seeing where the, the wind takes you. Um, and I think that's great because it kind of lowers that that fear of um, trying to get everything perfect. Yes. Um, I think Brendan and I, we used to teach a class together and we introduced chunky crayons because it's really hard to create fine art with a chunky crayon. Oh, that's so good. And it lets you be a little bit more free and to take chances and experiment. Um, I think the other thing about the beach trip that was really great was that my daughter um, had heard that black sand is magnetic. So she filled two of my socks with <laughs> sand and brought it home. <laughs> And then she used magnets to show how you could create like really cool magnetic forms as a sand form around the magnet or how the sand would jump. And it just teaches you what kids know so well is that if you like really stop and pay attention to the world and engage with it deeply, um, it just, there's so much more you can discover, so much more you can learn, so much more you can do. And so I think that combination of things just made that beach trip incredibly playful for me that sounds amazing and that and so hands-on like completely immersed in what they're doing yeah we, we can't we can't wait till she starts to intern here so that'll be fantastic well uh, for me I'm, I'm actually in the ideal play lab so it's hard not to feel playful i see we're one team with two offers one is around what michelle um, is focusing on design for play which is more solving or consulting the the other is toy invention uh, so but folks can work in both areas so it's just it's just magical to walk through where the toy inventors are tinkering on new new inventions and then hear about the other types of projects that we're working on. And the space itself is it's just full of stuff. So tinkering things and models and and yeah, it is it is a delightful um, tour stop and just a delightful place to get to come to. I mean, delightful is not a word you necessarily would associate with work. And it brings me so much joy to hear you describe it as delightful. And like the words tinkering, it just sounds like a magical, a magical land. You know, IDEO is kind of renowned for having a creative and playful culture. And I'd love to understand a little bit about how that shows up day to day. Like, what does it look like? Yeah, it looks like, well, it looks two different ways. When it's virtual, it's, it's one way, which we've tried to make things exciting. And when it's in person, it's it's different also. Uh, the thing I've noticed about getting back in the office is it's that question, what are you working on? Which is one idea of loves, because then you hear about some new project or some new experiment someone's doing, and then you get the spark, oh, I want to work on that too, or work, work with you. You don't get that question on a Zoom because what you're working on is in the subject line. <laughs> so there's no reason to ask. So, but we, we have other inspiration channels on Slack channels and things like that that really get us excited. We have an inspiration channel for, for toy invention, for design for play, for just all sorts of things that will spark. Because for us, in design thinking, it starts with inspiration, which around. is a lot around, you know, role-playing and other types of play for us. I think it's interesting that Brennan brings up, like, some of the things that we've learned and some of the differences we've observed between being in person and being remote. Um, I think even just, like, this last couple of years just showed how important play is, that 
people are looking for more from their work than just doing the work itself. It really is about being around other people, being inspired by the workplace, seeing work in action. Um, And I think there's something about making that distinction between giving people the permission to play, which we think is really important versus forcing play. Um, Like no one wants to be in that like forced happy hour where you have to socialize with other people if you don't feel like it in the moment. But um, really our team thinks about how do we set up the right conditions so that people can play. And I think IDEO does a really good job at that. And so um, Brendan was mentioning how it's just like running into people and having those conversations. And we specifically set up our space for that. So we have places where people come together and have meals or when um, physical mail was more of a thing, we had all the mail slots in one place so that everyone from the CEO to the newest intern had a place where they had to run into each other and where they'd ask those questions about what are you doing and be inspired from what they're hearing from each person. Um, I think also every time I walked into the IDEO office was so inspiring because it was less about the finished work, which is always great to see, but seeing work in progress and seeing people being really open with sharing Um, post-its on the walls and really early thinking and prototypes that aren't fully developed. And how can we make that okay? I think too many places are all about the buttoned up PowerPoint that's shown at the end. Um, And there's something about the play being a process and being okay with it being messy and giving people the permission to take chances. Um, So we tried to recreate that in virtual spaces too, with um, just showcases for people's work. Um, But there really was something about like coming into a physical office and seeing post-its all over the ground. There's a lot of opportunity in spaces that people don't, don't really take advantage of. I especially like to look at lobbies when I walk in. Uh, sometimes it feels like you're at the TSA with security guards there and they're, you know, they're taking all this information, which is fine. You, you need some of that. But why not try to add some delight in the lobby uh, where it's where it's more of a ritual in my class this year? Just as an experiment, first day of class, I taped down a hopscotch. Well, I don't know what you call it, but pla- pattern. And about half the students, when they walked in, were hopscotching and they, they had a little mindset shift. And then we made that a project. So each each class, a student could sign up to do the ritual and change it, which was really, again, just mindset and ritual. Very playful in a different way. Yeah, that kind of speaks to this idea of the like the physicality, like the link between our bodies and our minds and how playfulness is so kind of connecting in that way. Yeah, body play, mind-body play. We did a lot of it as kids. As adults, we kind of don't. But try to, try to watch something exciting. And and if your team wins, everyone raises their hands in joy. So try to have some more of that for other things. Yes, exactly. And delightful lobbies. Yes, please. I'd love to see more (laughs) delightful lobbies. Having been going back into offices recently, I'm like, this is a bit scary. (laughs) If anyone's out there from the DMV, Michelle and I really want to uh, do a design for play project to make that DMV more delightful. Yeah, (laughs) DMV, I hope you're listening. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of space too, people get really intrigued and surprised when they take a tour of IDEO and they come into the play lab. First off, a lot of people don't realize that IDEO has a whole arm that works on toy invention and that focuses on play. And when they come in, we literally have bins of goods against the walls that are there to help people um, feel like they can prototype and make anything at any point. So it's everything from mechanical pieces like springs and bellows that you can pull and make um, some new prototype out of. It's also just like pieces of toys uh, that are in all different shape that you can pull, you know, a head off of something or another component and create whatever you imagine. And I think 
that's what's really interesting about play. It's one, being able to imagine something that's really different and new, and then be able to start taking action to make it real. And so having a makerspace that lets people do that is also really key to creating a playful environment. I mean, when you're describing that, my like cheeks are hurting a bit. I'm smiling so much. Like that just sounds fantastic. And I want to come and yeah, play. That's, <laughs> that's mostly, we're talking about physical, but we do a lot of digital too. So we've done, had a great partnership with Sesame Street. And when we were mocking up for an app, how Elmo was supposed to dance, we were going back and forth there in New York. We're here. And they're saying they're sending us the assets and said, well, program it. And, and we're thinking, oh, that's going to take a couple of weeks. But then the team had this great idea. We'll plot out a giant iPhone, cut it out, and then we'll have people dance in the in the iPhone and videotape it. <laughs> and then we sent those back and forth, two or three different dances in the morning. Does Shadamo dance like that, like this? And we could get feedback right away before we went to any type of programming. So I love showing that example to students because they go, I, I can't prototype in digital. I, but yes, you can. You can show the story, which is a way play, play could reduce that to being almost fun. It was fun to do. So you actually had physical people doing the dance. Yeah. And we had someone fake touch the button on the screen, like here's the interaction design and and people didn't even realize it till the end that the scale is all off. Yeah, but you get the idea, don't you? And there's something, I mean, to come back to this word, which I feel like we've used so much already, delightful about the sound of that process and so inviting. So in your view, like how do play and work relate to each other? Um, Brendan, I know you run a course called From Play to Innovation. Like I'd love to just hear a little bit about how the, the, the kind of journey from play to innovation? Well, it's just kind of teach what you do. It's always a good way to sharpen, you know, sharpen your tools. But for for us, just looking at IDEO, we know it, we're always kind of bringing in different types of work, new and interesting work, because that's what people are, you know, they find fascinating. We've done a lot of work with startups and, and new industries. Like we've got quite a bit in health and play plays a lot in health. Michelle can talk more to that later. But we want to bring in work that people want. So it's like, then they're interested in it, and then they get into that state of flow, which, which we can talk about. But if they're bringing in, in their, the work is boring, they're going to be like polishing up their LinkedIn and go somewhere else. So we, we're constantly trying to bring in work that's exciting. And I'm trying to teach this whole concept of design for play to students. Um, if they look bored, I don't blame them for being ap- apathetic students. I have to like figure out I'm not engaging enough. This lesson isn't working. So so it's up to the teachers. It's not the students. Yeah, I'm in such strong agreement that it's about finding work that you're really passionate about. And I've had a couple really great conversations with the designers recently where they said, I had so much fun on this project that it didn't even feel like work. And that's what we're going for. Yeah, I'm like, how amazing is that if like work and play can be one and the same and you can't even distinguish between the two? Um, and one of my designers I had a chance to work with for many years, Jenny Gottstein, she introduced our team to the term sparkle zones. And this is that overlap where you're taking what you're really passionate about, what you're good at and what the world needs and finding that overlap in the center. And if you can really find that, that's where you kind of really find purpose and get excited about what you're doing. And so our team has really mapped out where do people want to play? And that's been looking at you know, how can we contribute to conversations around inclusion, around climate, education, aging, community design? Those are just some of the areas that we're especially passionate about. 
Um, and then, of course, we have all these special skill sets in play that we want to apply directly to that to bring a new perspective and viewpoint. And then if the world needs it and clients are asking for it, that's the icing on the cake that we can bring all those three elements together. And so this is where we're curious, where we're really driven to dive in and where we can do our best work. And that, I think, is when we enter that state of flow that Brendan was talking about and we where we truly are projects, playing and working. But, but, I mean, we're blessed because we... we get to do what we love, right? So when I explain to folks who, who say, well, I, I don't really like it, um, I remember I was a janitor in high school and college, and I we had kind of an enlightened leader. He, he said, you're going to get paid five hours, and, and you can do your job as fast as you can, but the quality has to be there. So it became kind of almost a game, like how to learn to do stuff more efficiently and better. And you know, it sort of had a good time at it. So I've never looked back at those as, as sort of drudgery work because because of the leadership. So thinking about how to, how the leadership can bring in more a more sort aspect of design for play. Yeah, that's really interesting. I th- there's two really interesting things there. I think one, the role that leaders play in modeling and giving permission. And also this idea of like, you know, it sounds like you design your teams quite differently, you know, designing around this idea of what are people passionate about and interested in just feels like a completely different starting point and so um, enlivening. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really love hiring unicorns into my team. I want people who, um, of course, have done their research and kind of know what we do and the kind of work that we accomplish and to be aligned with that. But I also want them to bring something new. And so I'm always trying to tap into like, what is unique about this person? And I think if you look at our team, you can see that we have really talented interaction designs, design researchers, um, engineers. But we also, if you look at what else they do, we have a magician, we have an opera singer, we have people who do improv (laughs) in their past um, or still do improv now. And I think each of those lenses makes them really unique in how they tackle challenges. And so when I'm hiring, I'm looking for that, like literally like the sparkle in each of them that we can bring to the sparkle zones um, in a unique way to tackle challenges uh, from a viewpoint that maybe hasn't been used before. That's so exciting. Can you tell me how you use, how does the opera singer like feed into this? I'd love to know. What does that look like? Oh my gosh. Um, so when uh, Wendy um, interviewed, I was really intrigued by how she looked at research and she said, as an opera singer, I'm a performer. And each time I step on stage, it's this magical moment where I can transport myself to another place, another time, think outside of my current reality and imagine something different. So as a design researcher, how do I enable that for the people that we are designing for? When I bring people into research and they're participating in that, how do I give them the tools to challenge the way that we see reality, to help us step into new areas, to enable them and enable our clients to step into new situations, to imagine something different? And she's been really effective to bring role play to her work. So even when we're touching on really deep strategy projects, there might be moments that people don't know how to engage their stakeholders or their clientele, and they might see their customers only as a source of revenue. And so she's used role play to be like, hey, let's actually like create this experience and we're going to bring in your stakeholders. We're going to bring in your clientele and you're going to engage with them in a new way. And it's that moment that you see the light bulb go off and the client comes back and you're like, wow, we have not tapped into the potential that's there and you helped us see it. And that's going to change the whole way we move forward and how we relate to the people in our ecosystem. Yeah. Wow. That's so exciting. And like so um, visceral, I imagine that experience is compared to like just listening and listening to somebody present some research. I love the the performer um, comment because in my class, I have the students present their presentations using a skit. 
They have to they have to write it out because I've seen so many presentations where the, the students nuance the slide deck forever. Once the, all four are standing, one's talking. This happens in the corporate world too. So if they do a skit, I the the worst skit is more engaging than the best slide deck. And <laughs> yeah. um, I give them extra credit if they do a skit in a different class. And I and I say if the professor doesn't like it, I will personally go talk to the professor. I've never had to talk to a professor, but I've had dozens of students come to me and say, we killed it in the other class because every other presentation was boring. That is so great. So are they doing like skits in maths class and stuff? Well, I don't know. No, they've done it in business class, in an education class, but wherever wherever there would be a team project where they'd have an opportunity to do it. So I don't know too many team projects in math. Yeah. It's like you're sending little play agents, secret play agents. We're trying to make as many play agents. Yes. And I'd say it's joyful, but we also really look at play as being purposeful. So one of the reasons that when we run workshops and we have people present their prototypes as skits is one, it's more engaging for both the person putting on the uh, presentation as well as the audience, but it also moves people away from thinking about what they're delivering as just a product or service where they're focusing on features and actually having them think about what's the engagement of how your product or service is going to impact the world. How is it going to interact with real people? What is the context that your product will be behaving in? And how will it actually create transformations within that audience? How will it get them to change emotionally? Um, so that's why it's really important. So beyond being fun, it really serves a real purpose. So it sounds like there's so much variety in the types of play that you use. So you've got role play, you've got skits, you've got makers making. Can you tell us about some of the other like types of play that you use? Sure. For ideation, one of my favorite topics is exploratory play. And, and you know, brainstorm is really exploring or go out and just play around with us. How many times have we heard that in the corporate world? But yes, we're exploring out, out in the field for sure. And then implementation or prototyping, it's constructive play. And that can be physical or digital. So we learn about all these play behaviors by inventing toys. So we're constantly focused on them. And they're not just for kids. These play behaviors go on and on. In the corporate world, this is from Tom Kelly's book, Art of Innovation. Um, Everyone roles plays at the office, but they only role play one character who usually stands up in a room or speaks up in a room when the the meeting's going fantastic and everyone's looking great. And that person says, let me play. What, Lucy? What role do they want to play? Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate. Why is that the only role? Why is it their play creator, (laughs) play agent role or, you know? um, Yeah, that is such a great provocation. Like, what role could you play apart from Devil's Advocate? I'm going to totally steal that in my next meeting when someone's like, yeah, but... (laughs) Yeah, they'd go, I'm the play agent here and let's put the Devil's Advocate in the corner. And I think one more to add to the list is social play because I think that's what's really exciting too is when you can bring other people in and really build off of each other and generate that excitement, get inspired by others. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of play can oftentimes be a team sport, too. And that's something we like to to build off of and, and really bring into the work we do. So, you know, you both have a wealth of experience in designing toys. And I know that you are taking some of those learnings and applying them in different contexts, so kind of serious, in inverted commas, adult contexts. I'd love to hear some stories of where you've applied the things that you've learned um, designing toys um, in other in other places. 
Yeah. Um, well, we're really excited to bring play to complex challenges. And I think this goes back to, again, watching kids, because a lot of times people talk about child's play and people assume that means that it's something that's really easy. But kids actually use play to tackle complex issues themselves. Um, they're using it to figure out how to interact with other people, how to navigate the world, how to push boundaries. And so similarly, it's well suited for all of the issues that we're facing today. Uh, one of the areas that our team, again, is really passionate about is sustainability and how do we talk about climate. Um, when generally people talk about climate, it's really easy to get depressed very quickly and I think you can only get so far with um, telling people the world is burning. You'll get their attention. But um, it's really hard to design and make a difference when you're in a state of depression. So how can a playful mindset come in and really bring that sense of hope and optimism? Like not downplaying the seriousness of it, because that's not what we want to do at all. But it really is about figuring out how do we bring people in in a way that they can get passionate about the topic to feel like they're actually empowered to make a difference. And um, I think that's why play is so important for challenges like this, like fighting climate change, because fear really isn't sustainable. And so if we want to create that sustained attention and the behavior change, we need to have that playful mindset that appeals to people emotionally. Um, Because it's not enough to just even like hope or anticipate what that playfulness um, might be and how it might come into play for these challenges. But again, it's about how do you take action? How do we um, actually do something to take steps towards it? If we're so focused on perfection, that can be really paralyzing. Um, but we want to actually have people take part, take that first step and then build off of that first step. And more than anything, they need to look at this as something that they want to do, not just something that they need to do. I, it kind of comes back to what we said at the beginning about play as like this fuel in order to change the world. Um, I know... You've been working on some very serious issues, like you've just mentioned sustainability and climate change and mental health, I know, is one of them. Um, do you think there's anything that is kind of too serious to be played with? Yeah, um, I mean, I think in looking at that question, one of the biggest pieces is to recognize that play has many different forms. And so um, I think where people kind of shy away from the idea of play being in certain situations is when they're just thinking about the boisterous laughter and um, the most uh, outward form of play that we might think of. But again, if play is more of a mindset and that really um, the thinking of coming to something with an open mind and the ability to imagine different possibilities and to feel like you can do something about that possibility, then yeah, I think play can be applied to any situation. Um, but you do have to read the room. Uh, we integrate play with a very human-centered uh, way of approaching design. So know who that audience is. Understand that play can be very celebratory, but it can also just be a way to reflect and experiment and to try things. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to necessarily include a lot of laughter. Um, and sometimes you do have to take that moment. Like if it's a really hard situation that people are trying to get through, you might need to take a moment for um, people to grieve or to have a moment to reflect and think, but that playful spirit will allow you to continue to be optimistic that there is a future beyond that and give you the opportunity to pull yourself out of that grief. And then again, to take action and make the situation better. Yeah, I agree, Michelle. I, I always feel play and good spirited humor or like good friends that like to hang out. So even thinking of a funeral or something, it's that first someone who gets up and says something funny about the person and you could just tell the whole room was relieved. And now now there's a sense of joy 
in remembering this person versus the grief. And they sort of balance, but definitely reading the room and understanding different types of play. And it's interesting because that, that ability, like play is very present, I think, like a playful state is very present. And actually, I think if you're in that space, it allows you to be very attentive to what is, whether that's like, as you described, Michelle, a need for grief or the need for the light relief in a very heavy situation. So it's, I think it's really interesting how those two things work together. Um. So I feel like there's a lot of preconceptions around play, particularly in organisations. I wondered kind of if you've come up against resistance and kind of how you navigate that. Yeah, we'll walk into a company and they'd say, we're very playful. Look at the foosball table or look at the beanbags or look at the slide. And I go, those those are great. Those are breaks. I have no problem with a break, but that's not what we mean by play. And then we have to sort of educate them about engagement, the things we've just been talking about. For a while, everyone thought Google's secret to success was because they had a big slide in their office. So we started seeing all these slides in all these companies. <laughs> it was like good for the slide business, but I, it was not good for the, the play business. It's good for taking breaks. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. And I think that, put that, I mean, that probably feeds into some misconceptions, you know, it's just beanbags and slides. Um, when I first started talking about play and how we could bring it to our consulting business, I was met with a lot of blank stares. Uh, I think a lot of times people would be like, well, we're not making toys and we're not working with kids. So why are you here? Um, and I think over time, um, I found different ways to articulate it. It's been the team coming together and working through like, how do we talk about play? And it really is, I think, one of the, the strongest ways I can get people to connect with play is to have them reflect back on their childhoods and to remember what play really meant for them. Because we all started out playing. We all knew the value of play. And we know that as a child, play is what enabled us to get to where we are today. It was really how we um, were able to challenge what we saw in the world and to really develop as human beings and find our voice. And so I think when we can remember to the power that it had for us as children, then we might start to question, well, why did we stop playing? Like, we still need all of those elements of building resi resilience, of being able to work with other people, of um, finding new solutions and to bring joy to the work that we do. And so I think when they can connect back to the value that it had in their early years, then it becomes almost a no-brainer of, well, of course it should be part of this challenge that we're tackling um, today. Working, I love working with the C-suite, especially around building a culture of innovation through play. So have to start from the top, and I'll sit these execs in a circle, and we'll make some kind of prototype out of foam core and rubber bands, and they've got scissors, and, and they're totally resistant at first, but I have a few titles that they might think I'm credible, and then they start doing some stuff, and they're working with their hands, they're thinking with their hands, which is an expression we love. And they're doing what I call high-fidelity thinking, low-fidelity prototyping. And that's what I'm trying to coach them up on their organization. You'll have more ideas. You'll have more quick failures that will lead to bigger successes. So that's, that's something where I really believe our Design for Play offer can, can really help organizations. I also think that our job is getting easier as we have more examples to show. So, Lucy, you mentioned some of the areas that we've tackled, but being able to talk about how we've taken on smoking cessation um, challenges where people will try to quit smoking but give up after they pick up one cigarette and the lessons we've been able to bring from game design, um, particularly looking at things like um, roguelike games where people die repeatedly but still keep playing um, so that when they actually win, the success is so much greater. 
what is it that we can learn from that that we can bring to this other industry um, or how have we gotten kids really excited to take on STEM careers by letting them role play as scientists and engineers. So over time, we've just had more and more examples to share. And so that's making it even easier to talk about play and get people to understand how we can bring it to their challenges. Um, I've just got this image of your C-suite execs, Brendan, like sitting down with their like tongue sticking out, like I made him sit on the floor too, because that's what kids would do. So that was, that was yeah, perfect. Amazing. And kids do it with their whole bodies. I, I just have, I remember watching this kid in a meeting, like coloring in and he wasn't just like coloring in with his hand. He was like, it was a whole body experience. I love Yeah. We your... call that rough and tumble play. Uh, so lots of times folks will think kids are fighting. They're not, they're just like two cubs wrestling. And that's a tougher, tougher behavior to explain sometimes. Yes, but a very needed behavior. <laughs> so in terms of like creating the conditions for play, you know, you've talked about how helpful it is to have examples. Um, what do you think needs to be in place for playfulness to flourish? Definitely you need enlightened leadership or you need an experiment happening in the corner that's got some air cover from leadership. And then everyone wants to know what's going on over there. How come they're behaving differently They're They seem to like really enjoy what they're doing and, and creating lots of little experiments. So I think two, two of those ways can, can happen or both at the same time. Yeah. There's um, three key elements that I think are really needed for someone to be able to truly play. First, I think there needs to be an element of psychological safety. So how do people really feel comfortable being themselves and feel comfortable taking risks? Um, I think, again, like going back to the example, walking to the IDEO office, it's that seeing people just taking chances and roughing things out on post-its and being okay with uh, prototypes that are only partway done, that they're still working out. So um, that safety to be able to do that, to, to take chances. Um, I think there's also that sense of agency that's really important. So how do you feel like you can actually create change, that you can affect the world around yourself and make a difference? And again, um, I mean, at IDEO, we're seeing that constantly to see what comes out of the different projects and how we're touching so many different industries. So there's something really great about that and knowing that you can dive in and, and do something yourself about what's around you. Um, and then I think sense of joy, right? Like when we talk about play, um, I think one mistake I've made in trying to make it a little bit more almost like mainstream and get more businesses taken on is um, that sometimes I use too much of the business speak to be like, see, it really applies to you. And then constantly like, oh, but let's not forget that play is really good at instilling joy. And so how do we maintain that sense of joy, that sense of wonder um, that really is that intrinsic motivation that gets someone excited to continue participating in whatever the experience is that you're creating? Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that when you get a bit serious and then you're like, I'm not enjoying this and having to like check yourself and get into a joyful space to be able to model it for others. Um, I'd love to hear what your biggest surprises have been. I don't in know. Your work I, I'm able play. to teach. I'm able to teach a class on it. I, uh, you know, we invent toys. I'm still amazed when we license a toy. The fact that you complimented me on the jump roo, which just sort of made my day. That was, you know, that had so many failures before it got to success, um, and it's still selling, which is delightful. So yes, uh, you know, but I'm most excited about the things we're working on now. I mean, that's what keeps me coming in into the office. All the sort of interesting things that we're working on or things that new things that I want to experiment with. So super excited what Michelle's doing in her area. It's just just, you know, I think we'll really have a big change on the firm, making us uh, more competitive and, and different than all those other folks in innovation. So 
Yes, it's all those things. Yeah, I, I mean, really related to that, I think I've been very pleasantly surprised by how people's viewpoints on play have changed over the last couple of years. I mean, as I mentioned, it was really hard when I first started talking about play and how we bring it to complex challenges and to other industries beyond toys and kids. Um, but I don't know, it might be partially the pandemic or a greater realization that we need more play and joy in our lives. But it, it's always really affirming and great when I can walk into a room now and I start talking about play and start to explain why I'm there. And I met with nods and smiles and people's own personal stories. Like one of the best stories I have is when I was going in to talk to ARP, which is the American Association of Retired Persons. Um, so they work with aging adults typically over the age of 50. And I started talking about play and how it really applies to people of all ages and that when we even design for aging, oftentimes it's about design for safety because we're looking at it from the caregiver's point of view. But if you look at the person that you're actually designing for, um, joy is such a key part and play continues to be essential. And so um, one of the people on the client side said, oh, I wholeheartedly agreed. And she told me a story about her aging mother and being a very dignified lady, had a really hard time um, transitioning to using a bedpan. And that was a huge challenge until they realized that she was a dancer when she was younger. And so they started turning on music and they would waltz her to the bathroom every time she needed to use the bathroom. And that was just such a powerful story about that mindset and play and how it can completely transform an everyday function into something that's joyful and makes it easier um, for someone to participate. So no, that's one I, that it really reminded me, me. When I first started working, my tough boss would come in and say, I only slept four hours last night. I, I'm, you know, if I came in and, and said that to my team, they'd say, don't you know anything about um, sleep hygiene, <laughs> you know, because there's been so much study in science of sleep, how important it is. So there is study. There are doctors and professors studying the science of play, how it's intrinsic. And if you don't have it, uh, things are not as happy in your life and it can lead to um, mental health issues. So um, I hope eventually play will be like that. People will understand, oh, yes, it's as important as sleep. Wait, so I'd love it if you have up your sleeves, which I suspect you do, um, a playful practice which you might be willing to share with our listener, um, something that they could kind of take and use well, in their work. I can start. I think for me it's motion. Um, so um, this mind-body connection, I always explain it to students, untie your shoes and see if your brain can tie your shoes. <laughs> they just can't. So you need to move, I think, to move. So I, for me, it's, it, I, it's running. It's slow running now. But I encourage folks, do something you like. I ask them about their hobbies, and it could be, it could be walking or biking or something that's moving, going to the beach and running after a badminton thing. But it's that movement every day that I think is really necessary to sort of reset. Yeah, and how accessible, you know, we can do that so easily, can't we, if we just allot a little bit of time? Yeah, um, so long time ago, my mom uh, gave me the advice to remember to always take the time to stop and smell the flowers, smell the roses. Uh, I think so many of us are so focused on the uh, what needs to come next and what do we need to accomplish from here to there? And there's so much to just taking a pause in your day and to really take in your surroundings and to observe what is new and special and um, to almost see it through the same eyes that kids see it in. There's so many things that we become jaded to that we just stop observing that can bring us joy in our day to day. And so 
take a walk as a child, even better, take a child with you yeah. <laughs> um, and just see what catches their attention and um, what becomes a game. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible. Like even just at the beach, that beach story, so many people were on that beach. No one paid attention to the sand. My daughter's the one who like brought it back and then like turned it into a toy and it amused her for hours. Um, and that's incredible. We're surrounded by things like grains of sand all the time, but how many of us actually see the play value in it and, um, kind of push ourselves to be creative and interacting with our world in new ways. Um, well, thank you both so much. It has been a real pleasure and delight, um, to talk to you. We would talk about this all day. So I was back sometime. This was fantastic. Your questions were wonderful. So our pleasure. Thanks so much, Lucy. Really appreciate being on here and being able to talk about play. One thing that jumped out was this idea of sometimes needing a bit of a Trojan horse to get play into the conversation. I think it was Brendan talking about we can talk about it in terms of engagement uh, because people are really plugged into this idea of how can we drive engagement when really what we're talking about is play. But it, it I, I, I get that a lot. Now our own work again is kind of people say, well, I love what you're talking about, but just talk, just call it flow. Yeah. Or just call it engagement. and Creativity. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I kind of, it really resonates that we do need that Trojan horse sometimes. Um, but also I'm a bit like, no, let's just be brave and use the word. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, I really like the idea of play as the superpower um, that kind of gives us fuel and allows us to take on the world when they were talking about some of the really tough challenges they work on and how you can't, you know, it's really hard to ideate if you're in a depressed, hopeless state and play being this kind of optimistic fuel that helps us keep going uh other things that came out to me was that jumped out at me was uh around presenting ideas through skit yes and i just i love this so much especially um i thought the really interesting nugget was how brendan had said you know go and do it in your other classes and if the professor has an issue they can come to me and i'll you know, explain the rationale and, and apologise for you if need be. And he's never had to talk to the other professor. And I thought that was, that was so revealing that we kind of, we wait for the permission, we need the permission and there's still fear and taboo around doing this and nervousness around it. And yet he's never had to, to, to kind of row back from that because it typically has always landed so, so differently and so well. I thought it was lovely how coming back to their office which sounded amazing I was like this just sounds like the perfect workspace um being able to ask people what they're working on and seeing the messiness of the process and play being exactly that a process that is not straightforward or in straight lines and how you know being invited into people's processes kind of creates room for serendipity and connection and different ideas to come in. I thought that was really interesting. Completely agree. I love that idea of showing the mess, showing the workings, showing the where it's not worked out and the failures. And that and that does sound like a really playful environment. And I loved the um, the whole hey big slides. That's <laughs> yeah. The only way you can create a, a playful environment, and that's that is often you know again where where minds jump to is all ball pits and tennis table tennis table table tennis and big slides and and actually it doesn't need all that it just needs this kind of open embrace of of the process of the messiness and as you say creating opportunities for for serendipitous connections around that so I, I love their take on 
what is a playful environment and how can you create one? Yeah, the idea of like bins full of loose bits and prototypes everywhere and delightful lobbies. Yes, please. I love the question that Michelle posed about what is unique about this person? I just thought that is so refreshing. What if we look beyond CVs and role specs and job descriptions and, you know, obviously the work needs to be done and you need certain requisite skills, but there's something unique about everyone. Everyone's coming with a story. Everyone's got quirks. Everyone's got passions that just are never invited out of us. There's never a mandate or a platform given. Yeah. And and how she described it as sparkle zones. I was like, yay, it's beautiful. How could we map our team out based on sparkle zones? Um, I loved Brendan's provocation to play a different role apart from devil's advocate like what are the other roles we can play um I just think that's a really great question to think about in whatever meeting we're in you know what role am I playing today what hat am I going to put on I think the last thing I, I would probably raise was around the importance and the value in physical movement using hands and how it's really difficult to kind of reset or reframe just by thinking. And I think that's so true. I can get really in my head and to, to just, yeah, to, to reset, to reframe, we do need to physically kind of move our bodies, use our hands, think with our hands. That was a lovely reminder. Yeah. And that image of that elderly woman being danced to the bathroom oh, brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. We're releasing episodes every two weeks, so do hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget, you can find us at www.yplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on the homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd like to hear about, guest suggestions, or questions about the work we do with organisations, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest, and we hope you'll join us then. <laughs>